I started a message out of Esther on Wednesday night. If you would turn back to the book of Esther. And uh, I want to look at a few things here out of this book this morning. Uh, Esther is such an interesting book. Uh, when you get into the Word of God, a study in the Word of God, it's one of only two books in your Bible that's named after women. Uh, the book of Esther and the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, you have a wealthy Jewish man that takes a Gentile bride. And in the book of Esther, you have a wealthy Gentile man that takes a Jewish bride. And those are the two books that's named after women in your Bible. And I, I normally don't preach with a storyline, but I started with one on Wednesday night and I wanna continue on with that. And, uh, but let me read some verses to you first. And I do understand when I read these verses that it may seem a little confusing because we're jumping from one place to the other. But for time's sake, I want to give a premise of what God has directed my heart on out of the book of Esther today. Turn to chapter one. And if you're a new convert, uh, don't be embarrassed if you're having problems finding the book of Esther. Most people know where Psalms is at. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Go to Psalms. Job is right before Psalms and then Esther right before the book of Job. And uh, Esther chapter one, and you just follow me along. I'll read portions of some verses, not to take away from God's word at all, but just to help us build a line so that you can see that what I share with you today comes from a biblical basis. It's all right to put things in words that we can understand if it has a biblical basis as we preach or teach. But in Esther chapter one, verse 19, if it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it be not altered. So we have a premise here. Anything that the king wrote as a royal commandment, it couldn't be altered. That was the law of the Medes and the Persians. Go forward, if you will, to chapter three. Chapter three. Chapter three and verse 10. And remember I said it doesn't make sense as I read it, but that's my job to try to help us come together and see what God is saying here. Chapter three and verse 10. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the Jews' enemy. So it's stating in the beginning that Haman was a person that regarded the Jews as his enemy and he was an enemy to the Jews. Verse 13, this is from the, from the king and the letters were sent by post. Now let me stop. I just said anything written by the king as a royal commandment could not be altered. It could not be altered. That was their law. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews. Not one, not two, all Jews, both young and old, little children and women in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to take spoil of them for prey. Chapter four, verse 11. This is now regarding Esther. 
Esther has been to Mordecai, communicating with Mordecai. After that, this letter goes out, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, mark those words, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. Then go to chapter five. That's where we were the other night. Chapter five and verse two. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Well, on Wednesday night, if you recall, if you were here in the service, and I'm not going to preach the message again, but I dealt with two of the individuals that play a vital part of this role that we see played out in Jewish history and this event leading to the holiday of Purim that the Jews still celebrate to this day. And in that, I dealt with Haman and Mordecai. And of course, Mordecai or Mordecai, both pronunciations are correct, but, uh, but I'll put it in hillbilly lingo for us today and we'll call him Mordecai. And Mordecai, being a Jew, sat in the king's gate. So Haman has everything that he wants now. He has position, he has power, he has authority. And there's one thing with everything that he's got. He's got the multitude of his children. He's got the riches of his glory. He sizes it all up in chapter five. But there's one thing that absolutely grinds in his mind. When he passes by the king's gate, Everybody else, when he travels anywhere, they bow down to him. They acknowledge his power and his authority. They let him know how wonderful that he is because he is the right-hand man to the king. But when he comes to that gate, when he sees Mordecai in that gate, that old Jew refuses to bow. He raises his head up high. He stares at him with a glare and Haman comes to his wife and to his family, to his friends and says, I've got everything that I want, but there's one old Jew that he refuses to bow. That puts something in his heart. And of course, the premise of Wednesday night's message is no matter what we do as believers, we need to stay in the king's gate. Haman is a picture of the enemy of the soul, the devil. And the devil stares at you today and he hates you because you refuse to bow to his way. You refuse to cower into his plan. You refuse to go along with what he wants. And any time that you stand up and you say, I am saved, I'm a born again believer. I will not go the way of the world. I refuse to cower down. I will not sell out. I'm telling you, we ought to look the devil in the eye and remind him we are God's property, God's children, and God has the final say in our life and he has nothing to do with it. That hatred grows. It grows to the point that first he realizes he must convince the king 
to feel the same way that he feels. That's the devil's objective, to try to make everybody see things from his point of view. Do you see things changing in the church world? Do you know why? The devil's trying to get the church to see everything through the eyes of the world. But we don't see everything through the eyes of the world. We see everything through God's word. So he's got to convince the king. So he decides to deceive the king. By the time you get to chapter three, he knows that anything that the king writes, it's a law that cannot be altered, that there has to be a premise. Really, the only exception to that is if the king was misled in some way, then the king has a way to write, if you will, an addendum to to go back and create a new standing that would allow that to be once again repealed as to say, I made my word, my word is my word, so I've got to give an alternative way to overcome my word. So he said, I've got to get him to write this letter. So finally he says that these Jews, king, they don't obey the king's laws. They don't bow down to the king. We've got to do something about it. The king takes his ring off. That's what's used oftentimes for a seal, probably so in this, takes his ring off, gives it to Haman, says, write the letter, I'll seal it. They write the letter and the letter goes out on on the, on the 12th month of Adar. In one day, every Jew is to be killed. So now all the Jews are under the condemnation of a law. You get in the picture? The king's given a law now and all of a certain group of people are under the condemnation of that law. So he says, I've got the king on my side now. So the king is going to have to agree with this. So this letter goes out, young, small, it doesn't matter. So first, I wanna call your attention to the sovereign king, the sovereign. When we look at the sovereign king, there's two things about the king that stands out to me. Number one, his word is unchangeable. And number two, the throne is unapproachable. There's two things that you'll notice about what I read to you this morning. When the king's word went out, that meant suddenly that, that, that law stood for everyone. No one could change it. No one could alter it. Aren't you glad that we have another king that what he says he means and what he means he says and his law is unchangeable? I, I would hate to build my life on a Bible that I doubted if it was going to change or not. I've got the word of God that I can stand on and you can stand on. And even if everything else in the world changes, what God has as written is written. What God has said, he has said. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will stand forever. But also his throne was unapproachable. Nobody could get into that throne room unless they had been called. The king had to call them in order for them to get into the throne room. So now this letter is out. All the Jews are to be destroyed in the month of Adar. The day has been selected. Nobody could escape the penalty. And along comes Esther. Esther in this this portrait, uh, the picture of the word of God is a type of you and I. 
the sinner. She was a sinner in this respect. She was a sinner because the law condemned her. When this law went out, all Jews were to be killed, young and old. So under the law, she was facing death. She was condemned. Do you know every one of us under the law were condemned? All of us. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. The condemnation is there. We're condemned already. There's condemnation to you and I. So there wasn't any changing the law. There was no way that she could alter the law. She was condemned under the law. There was nothing else that she could do. And let me say this to you. You try any way you want to. You do anything you want to do. You try to do good works. You try to help others. There's nothing wrong with all of that. You live the best life you can. You try to keep as many of the laws of God as you possibly can. But in the end, you'd still come up short because under the law, we are all condemned to a terrible place called hell. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We're all under the condemnation of the law. She was condemned under the law. But something said, if you could get to the king, the king could make a way greater than the law. So she was condemned by the law, but she was willing to risk her life. If she was not called and appeared before the king, she was to be killed. Is that what I read to you? But still she was willing to risk that because she thought the same king that wrote the law could also write another law that is a greater law than what the first law was. The same king that wrote the first covenant can make another covenant, which is a greater covenant. Now, let, let me just stop here and say, see, this is where people get confused about God. Sinners try to equate every problem that's in this world. The devil will try his best to make you blame God for every problem that's in this world. For every sickness, for every horrible thing that happens, for all the cruelty, for all the abuse, for all the injustice, for all the depression, for all the discouragement, for all of the pain, for all of the agony. They'll look and they'll say, look, what kind of a God is that? You say that God is love, but you're telling me I should love a God that lets all of this go on. Kind of quiet right now. It's exactly what I'm telling you should do. Why? Because... God gave a law. He gave a royal commandment in Eden of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Thou shalt not eat it, 
lest thou die. When they ate it, God cursed the dust, God cursed man, God cursed woman, God cursed creation. It was all cursed because God has to keep his word. Do you see this this morning? If you go to hell, it is because God has to keep his word. He said that when you, when you sin, all sinners are worthy of death. We all deserved death and hell. But she said, I believe there is a king that even though the law's been written, I believe he has such love in his heart that he can make a way. And God did make a way. He said, yes, the law says that all shall die, but this is what I'm going to do. I've got to keep my word. Every one of us, we're going to die. God has to keep his word. But we all don't have to face death with a hopeless outlook. He said, I'll send my son, and my son Jesus shall die for your sin. Jesus becomes the golden scepter, and he'll die for our sins so that he can make a way that we can get back to God where death will never come again and everything will be made perfect and right. But the only way to get there, first, he calls you. Every sinner gets a call. She got a call. Mordecai has now gotten the message and he has rent his garments. He's in sackcloth and ashes because it's hopeless, there's no way out. He's going to face the law and the law says, you're gonna die. But Esther said to the servant, send Mordecai this message. I'm gonna go into the king. Oh, how can you do that? I've got a feeling that that king's heart is full of love. And if that king loves me, (laughs) he will invite me into his presence. She prepares herself. She stands at the outer court and the king sees her she catches the king's eye. And the king does the most unusual thing. The same sovereign one that sees the sinner that has been condemned falls in love with her. And out of love, he calls her and holds this scepter out. Do you know what that scepter is a sign of? Dominion. It was used for granting. It gave the power of the king to grant whatever he wanted to grant. That scepter means I rule that whatever I say will come to pass. It was used for punishment. It was also used for walking. It was used as as a rod. It was used in so many areas of life, even for writing. 
But in this case, it was used for granting permission to come into his presence. The same king that had written the law that said all the Jews shall die also said that date has not come yet. So before death comes, he says, I want her to come to me. And she said, I'm going into his presence. What was she doing? Yes, she was condemned by the law, but she was counting on love. She said, something tells me that king loves me. I know there's a law that says I have to die, but something down inside of me says he loves me enough to change everything. Do you remember when you were condemned by the law, but something inside of you said the same one that I'll face in judgment has said, I love you so much. I'll make a way that you can get out of the condemnation. And he sent the son Jesus Christ as our scepter. That scepter shows dominion. That scepter was golden. That shows deity. Deity. Gold's always a picture of deity in the word of God. That same scepter, if you study in history, almost always, if there are any paintings from the past of royal scepters from history, they are painted in red. They are covered in red. Do you know the book of Numbers says that there is a scepter that is to come whose name is Jesus, Numbers 24, 17. He'll come from Jacob and he'll rise up as a scepter in Israel. He said, I have not seen him now, but I will see him. When Jesus, in a few weeks, we're gonna be celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you ever let the world make you feel guilty over celebrating the birth of Christ because the birth of Christ is the picture to the world that the scepter has come, the golden scepter that has all dominion and he'll prove he has all dominion because the same baby that was born there in the manger, that same baby is now sitting on the throne with all power and all authority. He conquered death, he conquered hell, he conquered the grave and in the process, he gave his blood that we might have the right to be called to his presence to receive deliverance, favor, and forgiveness. It's all available through Jesus. What a scepter. He's always been the deliverer. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, he's the seed of woman. In Exodus 21, he's the servant that had been set free but refused to go free. You'll read about him in Leviticus as the sparrow whose wings was dipped in blood and water that flew away to give us the hope of life and forgiveness forever. In Numbers, he's the serpent that's on the pole. When you get to the book of Psalms, he's the shepherd. But this morning, I'm presenting to you as the, as the scepter. The king today 
has said to you, you're under the condemnation of the law, but he holds out the golden scepter, Jesus Christ, and he says today, I'm calling you into my presence. I'm calling you to this place today that you can have forgiveness and you can have favor. I love that word favor that's used in this text. Someone said, why does people all the time talk about the favor of God? Because Esther had the favor of the king. And can I tell you, you have the favor of the king. He has brought you to the inner court today and he extends the scepter of his grace and the power of his blood to to come down and take the condemnation away. All you have to do is come. Come to him. The choice is yours. There's more to the story, but I'll finish that on the next message. It looks like Haman is one out. But now we see hope, a way out. Is there anyone here today that, that you're like myself, you're excited about the fact that after God gave the law on Eden, the command, and the command had been broken, is there anyone here excited that he gave us a new commandment? I'm counting on his love to get me through. I'm counting on his love to pull me out of everything. Why you should love us is beyond my comprehension. I don't know why he would love us. There's not a, I'm not asking you to name your sins. I get so tired of people coming to me and they'll say, oh, preacher, I feel so low, I feel so guilty, and they'll start naming off their sins as though they gotta tell me what it is. I've got news for you. He knows every sin you've ever committed. And, and I know we have, a, we have a way in our mind that we categorize sin. This sin's not quite as bad as this sin. And this sin is a little worse, but all sin leads to death. But thank God, there is a king that offered a scepter. And the scepter says, I love you. You're gonna have to trust in his love if you want forgiveness. But if you want forgiveness, his love is sure. And his love will pull you through if you come to him. They'll come, they'll get a song, we'll stand, we'll sing together. If you're here today in this service, Christ has called you to come. He invites you to come. He says, turn to him. He loves you. Even when you didn't love him, he loves you. You've got an enemy and he hates you. Please hear what I'm telling you. The devil's not your friend. The world is not your friend. The devil's never done anything good for you and he's not gonna start this morning. He would love to see you destroyed. But the king offers you Jesus, the scepter of your salvation. And he says, will you come to him?